When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deep, deep cuts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts Lost and Found. This is round number 18. The year that we are looking at is 1991. Just a few years after we graduated high school, probably near the end of our time in college, at least for some of us, I dragged this process out a little bit. I'm here with my uh, best friends from Needham High School, Derek Brain, Richard Ayer, Bill Federko, Chris Nashawadi, myself, Thomas Golovich. Welcome to the show. This show is basically us exploring some of our favorite deep cut songs, songs uh, from artists that are overlooked, songs that are overlooked, uh, non-singles, not the obvious stuff, stuff that we've been really excited about over the course of time and are sharing with each other and we get to share it with you. Uh, let's talk first about the year 1991. Who is doing history this year? Uh, that would be me. Rhyme time. <laughs> you guys may regret it, but okay. <laughs> so yes, 1991, uh, Nirvana was rising fast and hair bands weren't going to last. Yeah, all right, that's solid. <laughs> okay. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. No, no, it was, it's not my best work. Not my best work. It's no Grace <laughs> Kelly was going to die. <laughs> right. You set the bar so high now, Derek, with your rhyme. I know, I know. Uh, George H.W. Bush and Dan Quayle were still in the White House. The Soviet Union dissolved and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev stepped down. Operation Desert Storm began on January 17th. You know, U.S.-led coalition-led military forces, you know, looking to kick Iraqi forces out of Kuwait and began decades of expensive, bloody, and destabilizing intervention in Iraq in the Middle East. And- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Wow. He's not wrong. Is this the Trump hour? Is this Joe Rogan? He's not wrong. (laughs) And and possibly, you know, began, you know, this sort of 24-hour cable news cycle that's resulted in the clusterfuck that is cable news today. (laughs) Um, You know, I remember being just glued to CNN, watching that all kind of roll out and drinking beer and wondering if there was going to be a draft. Wolf Blitzer's claim to fame. That was his launching pad. That's right. <laughs> and Peter Arnett. Remember Peter Arnett? And Bernard Shaw hiding in the closet. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. You guys remember what our buddy said to uh, Peter Arnett when he saw him in the bathroom? Anybody know this one? What did he say? Nice coverage. Yes! Jesus. <laughs> Wasn't Robin a urinal with Peter Arnett? He said he looked over at him, he said, nice coverage. <laughs> He's like, that's all I can think of. <laughs> I said, I'm sure he was very flattered. Never talk to someone at a urinal. That's really the message. If not completely creeped out, he was very flattered. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the Rodney King beating was caught on video. Freddie Mercury died of AIDS at 45 years old. 
Very misogynistic Senate Judiciary hearings for Clarence Thomas took place. Got any good news from 1991? Jeez. Jesus. In lighter news, uh, the ScanDisk put out a two and a half inch hard drive <laughs> with uh, a 20 megabyte capacity that cost $1,000. Jesus. Ah. Wow. So just let them wrap your head around that. Just to give us a little perspective. Yeah. And in just super kooky news, a guy named Marshall Ledbetter blockaded himself in the Florida State Capitol building and demanded, among other things, a large pizza from a place named Gumby's, <laughs> an ounce of weed, a bunch of coffee and donuts for the cops outside, $1,000 worth of Chinese food, and demanded to be put on the phone with Timothy Leary, Jello Biafra, Ice Cube, and Lemmy from Motorhead. All on the same call. Well, no, he, I don't know if he wanted to conference them all in, but no, I think... <laughs> I want it done in the next 20 minutes. Did you just make that up? <laughs> no, no. Marshall Ledbetter. He became a bit of like a, a you know, folk hero. People had, mm. you know, T-shirts. But uh, he was arrested and none of his demands were met. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> oh, because it was impossible to get those masterminds wow. together. Except for Lemmy. Lemmy came by and had some whiskey with him. Um, no, nah, TV shows. Home Improvement was big. Roseanne, Cheers, Murphy Brown. How's your boy Cosby doing? Is <laughs> he still on? Uh, he was probably still there. I don't know. I think I'd block him out. Uh-huh. Um, movies, it was, uh, you know, big grossing films. You had your Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh, yeah. It was a big year mm. for colon uh, movie titles, you know. Did you say colon? Colon. Colon related. You know, Terminator 2, colon, oh. Judgment Day. Colon. Oh. Robin Hood, colon, Prince of Thieves, Naked Gun, two and a half, colon, The Smell of Fear, <laughs> etc. <laughs> the Academy Awards, it was like Silence of the Lambs year. Won Ivory Award, didn't it? Yes. All the majors? Best film, best director, best actor, Anthony Hopkins, best actress, Jodie Foster. I think, did, I think it won a, a writing award as well, but I'm couldn't tell you which one yes they call that the top five it swept the top five and it was quite good too so it was great yeah sure popular music uh you had your um singles you had everything i do for you brian adams the uh i want to sex you up by the color me bad (laughs) we all remember that one oh yeah that's a good one you had the everybody dance now don't Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. With your CNC Music fan- Factory, you had your More Than Words by Extreme, oh. Baby Baby, Amy Grant. So you could see we're really rife, oh. we're really ready for some Nirvana to topple things. Really good stuff. It was sort of a real pivotal year in music. And, you know, well, you wouldn't know it from some of those top albums, you know, Mariah Carey and Garth Brooks, et cetera, Wilson Phillips still up there. But there was so much going on this year. I mean, I think we were all pretty much dizzied by the selections. But for a lot of people, Nirvana is the big story this year. I mean, they kind of, the album Nevermind really came out of nowhere. Uh, I think I remember seeing them four days after Nevermind was released. And, you know, I'd maybe heard one or two songs from Bleach. And, you know, I didn't really know anything about them, you know, and saw them at the Marquee in New York City in September of 91. And, you know, first note, it was undeniable that these guys were going to be something huge. I mean, they were just a force of nature and just so catchy. But, you know, they really kind of pulled the veil from teens' eyes in a way that that nobody had before and really just kind of made a lot of things seem silly and false. Um, I don't know, you have to respect kind of what Kirk Cobain brought, you know, the kind of bands that he would always name check. Meat puppets. 
Yeah, meat puppets, but, you know, and sort of just being unrepentant in support for communities that didn't really get support from bands, you know, of that size. And, you know, it was the first time, like, a band became the biggest band in the world that kind of shared the musical and moral and political values that the bands I appreciated did. It's funny. I was recently I was watching um, the uh, MTV Unplugged of Nirvana. I forgot until I watched it, like just how charismatic he was. You know what I mean? You think of him as this sort of like wallflower in a way, you know, like he was like crying on the inside and obviously dealing with like lots of uh, demons and stuff like that. But God, that evening he was so charismatic and and outward and and just, I don't know, like, like you were just saying, I mean, like talk about sharing the values, but like everything he said just felt so right. You know what I mean? Like, there was not like a false note in anything he said. And it was rare to see someone that you can't be cynical about. I mean, he was just really earnest and yeah. Very honest. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was also a lot funnier than people yeah. really think he is. You know, like the documentary, uh, The Year the Punk Broke, you know, the story of um, a tour with Sonic Youth and them and a bunch of other bands. And they were, you know, a lot of stuff at like music festivals where a bunch of other bands are backstage with them, Dinosaur Jr., et cetera. But Kurt is really goofy and funny in that as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's just so much crazy music this year, you know, from the Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest and My Bloody Valentine's Loveless and, and just the grunge taken over with, you know, Nevermind, Bad Motorfinger, Pearl Jam's 10, and some amazing, you know, hip-hop stuff. Cypress Hill, uh, the Black Sheep. I mean, it's just big, big year. It was it was really tough to choose. It seems like a year where every area of music had hit overdrive. Like rock had moved into the grunge field. Nirvana had integrity in a way that no bands had in the same kind of way that they did. Uh, Hip hop had kind of like moved into overdrive. It had been experimenting, figuring itself out. Now it was moving full speed. The West Coast was moving in. You had Ice Cube and Del the Funky's Homo Sapien putting out amazing West Coast records. You had uh, from the East Coast, like you said, you mentioned earlier, you've got like, you know, um, uh, Black Sheep were releasing a great record, continuing the sort of native tongues thing. And then in rock, it was moving in new directions. It felt like everybody was moving in overdrive. Like it took a year, maybe 1990 was not the year of transition, but 1991 was the year where things moved forward in a really exciting way. At least that was my impression when I listened to the year. Why don't we start with uh, Rich? What would you like to take us out? My first choice is um, Mudhoney, a song from their second album that came out also in 1991. Uh, they had an opportunity to go big and join a, a big record label that year, I believe. Uh, this and but chose to stay with Sub Pop. This was the first CD that I bought by Mudhoney, um, so I remember it pretty well, and I listened to it quite a lot to say the least. But I've talked about. Mudhoney before. I don't think we need to go back into why I like them so much, but suffice it to say they're one of the best live bands I've seen. My ears are still probably permanently damaged from some of the shows that I've been to. Yeah, so I think it's a good way to start us off uh, in Seattle with Mudhoney. This is from Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge. And the song I chose is Who You Driving Now. It's Deep Cuts Lost and Found. Round 18, 1991 is the year.
it. <laughs> Fast. 221. I like it. Very nice. I like those guys and just got to respect their ethos. A very efficient use of two minutes and 20 seconds. That's right. Get it all in. Billy, do you have a, uh, a short song for us or is it something more epic? Does it have to be short? No, usually you say like there's a great part around four minutes and 45 seconds in. <laughs> I just like to help our listeners find sure particular moments in the songs because I'm all about the music. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I'll, I'll jump in. I don't think this song is actually very long. It may even be under three. Um, Rich has always already touched on grunge. I'm going to steer away from that direction. No uh, Pacific Northwest bands for this guy. Uh, <laughs> although this band does have a connection to Pearl Jam. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm going to go with a couple of underdog bands, uh, criminally overlooked bands, and uh, two bands that I think are more obscure than they should be. Uh, the first one is American Music Club. Uh, this is from their fourth record, Everclear. The song is Ex-Girlfriend. In 1991, Mark Eitzel, the lead singer, and a songwriter for AMC was declared the best songwriter in the country by Rolling Stone. Hmm. Nobody bought any of their fucking records. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I own half of the, the total sales of American Music Club. Uh, Mark Eitzel, I mean, he doesn't help himself. He's kind of a patron saint for lost souls and kind of a, a downer. But uh, he had a real sympathetic ear for anybody who was down on their luck um, and wrote just fantastic songs. The connection to Pearl Jam is they, they toured with Pearl Jam. I think it was in 92. And Mark Eitzel made a comment to Jeff Amin. He's like, your video for Jeremy sucks. He goes, <laughs> his point was, it's literal. The song was about, you know, maybe about some kid who kills himself. That's what I think Eddie Vedder had in mind when he wrote it. And then they make a video that's really literal about a kid like in high school shooting everyone. And that's all that Mark Eichels could see about the band. He says, you guys, you guys have ruined it. And I don't think Pearl Jam made another video for six years after that because they, they felt chastised by, by Mark. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you sure that Mark had that much impact on uh, Pearl Jam? Uh, just saying. Is it a coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. Six years? All right. Another artist, by the way, that we've all seen cry on stage before. Yes. Yes. Mark, Mark Eichel uh, does like to cry. Uh, <laughs> actually, I think in this, the songs, the uh, lyrics of this song in, involve a, a character crying as well. So that's perfect segue, Thomas. Uh, the song is Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I won't tell you what minute to listen to, but there is a moment in the, the middle of the song where there is a break. Uh, and Mark sings a beautiful melody and then it kicks right back in. Uh, it's just gorgeous. It also contains one of my favorite lyrics. Uh, Bad decisions make our decisions for us. Just a great line. Uh, so, Tommy, kick it, ex-girlfriend. It's Deep Cuts. Your ex-girlfriend told me you were having a bad time. Your ex-girlfriend told me you were having a bad time. Day-to-day -day life shouldn't be what it's all about. Know too much about. I guess you got no one to take care of you. I guess you got no one to take care of you. Your ex girlfriend told me it's been all yesterday crying. Hey, I didn't know things were going so bad. Back to you Or work your way out of cynical attitudes That protect you Bad habits Make our decisions for us 
He's such an incredibly vulnerable and, and kind of powerful presence. He's amazing, and it's just a guy who could never uh, get a break. Like, critics would like him and occasionally, you know, say nice things about him, but could never, ever crack a hit. I mean, this was supposed to be their hit record. Like, they put all their money to this. I think this was with a major label, and yeah, nothing came out of it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him perform, I want to say two or three times at this point. I think at least once with you, and... I saw him here in LA play at some point and I think it was Mark Eitzel's solo. I don't know if it was the whole band, but he came out, he was very vulnerable. He was kind of in a weird mood and he was trying to figure the crowd out and the crowd was the usual crowd. They were like supportive and fun, but you know, it was a small venue. Yep. And at some point he was having a hard time getting the song to work and he stopped and he started to yell and the whole venue got quiet and then he smashed his guitar and then he walked away and everyone was like, I don't know, do we leave now? Like, what do we do? The guitar smashing wasn't performance. No, no. <laughs> that was him. Generally was angry. Him. And he literally said this was his favorite guitar. He'd had it for years and he was really heartbroken and he was going to try his best to do it with another one. And then he played another guitar and kind of muscled his way through the set. But it was like watching a public meltdown in a way, which I think I've seen also with, with uh, Bob Mould at times. There, there's something very powerful about very vulnerable and honest performances from people who are willing just to be themselves up on stage. So cheers to Mark Heitzel. He puts it all out there. He really does. Chris, you get to uh, shift the gears if you'd like to. I'll do it. Um, you know, that was the year that some of us graduated college. I did. And that summer I moved out to Chicago which I, I lived there for a year and I loved it. And um, I saw a lot of music while I was there, including this band, which was from Chicago. They Did you see Lollapalooza? No, I did not. No, I did not. I believe that, wasn't that the first year? Uh, it might've been, I don't, I don't recall. Um, anyway, there was a band from Chicago who had just put out um, an album called Gish in May of 91. I moved there in June of 91 and I saw them play in Chicago a couple of times um, in really small clubs early on. And, uh, you know, this album to me by the Smashing Pumpkins is really, really terrific. I have to admit, I didn't really, I've never really been a huge fan of the albums that they put out after this one. I think it's Head and Shoulders, their best record. I love this album. Yeah, I agree. This is always my favorite. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting that, you know, we were talking about Nevermind and it's, it's interesting that around the same time that Butch Vig was producing Nevermind, he also produced Gish. He did this one first, right? Yeah, I think he did it right before Nevermind, which is a pretty nice one-two punch if you oh, think about huge. it. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Pumpkins was released before Nevermind, right? This this album, I think, was out first. I think by about a month or two, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, this song that I chose is Snail, which is um, you know one of my favorite tracks from the album. But this album has so much energy and and almost like a very like mystical vibe to it. Um, I just really think it's a flawless record. So uh, hit it, Thomas. All right, deep cuts. It's Smashing Pumpkins. Come 
you guys seen the band live, by the way, in this time period, Chris? Did you get a chance to see them? Yeah. 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 So a couple times, yeah. What was your kind of read of them as a, a band? Because they were kind of, you know, Billy Corgan's an interesting dude, and it seems like, you know, he's a big personality, and I imagine the chemistry of the band is very dependent upon, like, how he's doing, basically. Oh, they were fucking great. I mean, they were they left it all on the stage. They were terrific. Um, Although that band didn't last. For- no, no, it didn't. Yeah. But it was before he became Billy Corgan, self-proclaimed rock god. You know what I mean? It sort of, there was a, a humility to the band because they hadn't broken yet um, back then. Right. I feel like, in a way, they became too aware of their own greatness um in a way that made them a little bit insufferable i think i'll give you that certainly made him insufferable uh billy corgan he's nothing if not insufferable these days you guys sound like stephen malkmus all of a sudden well yeah i do think that they became a little grandiose or at least thought that they were grandiose you know what i mean yeah well he wanted to be a guitar rock god yeah but that almost never works out well you know what i mean if someone watched that and like no it's not often you kind of fall into that, though. You got to have a huge ego, right? I guess that's true. It's just, it almost feels like he was claiming that mantle himself. He is damn good. I mean, his musical chops are astounding. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I just, I feel like there was a... Um... You're calling him John Mayer. You're calling him the John Mayer no, of hard I'm rock. I'm saying that there was something, <laughs> there was something a little naked about his ambition that sort of struck me as uh, a little off. I hear you. Yeah. He's the other guitar god who got into professional wrestling, but in a way that wasn't as good as Bob Mould. <laughs> I don't think there's any good way to get into professional wrestling, if you ask me. But, uh, but also, you can't, you can't underestimate the influence of Jimmy Chamberlain's drumming. I mean, he's yeah. such an interesting kind of jazzy style that um, I think, you know, makes this record something else than it would have been with a different drummer than him. I just love the opening track on this album that I Am One. I Am One. And that bass. It's off to the races, man. Crazy. So good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a great record. Excellent pick. So you're not going to give Darcy any any lover props here? just Or James and... Eha. Yes, they're all great. It's okay. a great, it's a great <laughs> band. <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel slighted tonight. No. I'm in a very up with people mood. <laughs> Derek, do you have an inclusive band? You want to name check each of the members of the band that you're about to play? Sure. Uh, you, we got uh, Brett Watford, uh, Brian McMahon, Dave Bajo, and uh, Todd Bashir. Nice. Um, of Louisville, Kentucky's own Slint. Ah. Sort of uh, personality-wise, uh, probably uh, the polar opposite of, you know, what Billy Corgan's <laughs> started to put out. Um, these guys are definitely like kind of critics darlings in a lot of ways and, you know, probably similar to Mark Geitzel in terms of people loved to write about them more than a lot of people like to listen to them. Um, you know, this was a really kind of important record, uh, Spiderland. And, you know, it's just really different than what I had been listening to before. And it was a totally different listening experience. In the respect, you're forced to slow down and kind of lean towards the speakers. It kind of, you know, rewires your expectations of the experience of listening in some ways. You know, it's like watching that Warhol film Empire that's just like eight hours of of the Empire State Building. You know, when you when it first starts, you're like, nothing's happening. But then as you kind of rewire your brain, you start to appreciate it in a different way than when it first started. I think it's more than eight. 
I think it's more than eight hours. Yeah. It's like eight hours and 10 minutes or something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's to insult to injury. It's longer than eight. Um, and they're just great. This sort of, you know, the two kids, they met when they were little kids. They went to high school together. They were in like this, you know, pretty influential Louisville punk band, Squirrel Bait, when they were like 14. Um, they made this record when they were barely 20s. Great band name, by the way. Squirrel Bait is one of the great band names of all time. Yeah. And also like one of these records you always come across when I was record digging in like the ni- mid 90s. What, Squirrel Bait? Yeah, I could not avoid Squirrel Bait at a certain point going through going to use record stores. Um I love this this record. Uh, I like all the stuff that Slint's done uh, and a lot of stuff that um, few of them done afterwards. But uh, this is a song called Washer. It starts real quiet. So um, just get ready and manage your expectations. It starts slow. It's Washer from Slint. Deep Cuts Lost and Found, round 18, 1991 is the year.
sounds like this just kind of keeps on drifting into all sorts of interesting places. For 18 hours. <laughs> they really set out to do something different from what they've been doing and what they were hearing. And the record before this, Tweez, is a really great record as well. They're definitely worth checking out. I love the album cover of the, of the, the photo on the cover of this album, too. It's really great. They're coming out of like a pool or a ocean or something? They're in, they're treading water, it looks like. Some like quarry somewhere, you know. Yeah. What is a slint mask? Do we know? Isn't it like a little crack in like uh, where light gets through? Oh, a slint of light. Isn't that? I, I, I don't know. You're not talking about glint. I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure what the where the name came from. I'm not sure. There's a really good documentary about them on YouTube by um, Lance Bangs. You know, when he was still pretty young. I'm sure there's a book you've read about them. Yeah, but it's it's called Breadcrumb Trails, and it's sort of about them as a band, and it's kind of fascinating. I mean, they were just in uh, one of their parents' basements, uh, just putting all this stuff together, playing D and D, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they seemed like. I wouldn't put it past them, but the music seemed to be their main focus. Where did you say they're from, Derek? Louisville, Kentucky. Huh, okay. Yeah, and which at first, you know, when I first started thinking about them, I was like, there must have been nothing going on in Louisville. It sort of came out of nowhere. But uh, watching that documentary, there was actually a really cohesive and supportive and big music and punk scene in Louisville that very much kind of fostered them as players and musicians and songwriters it was there was a lot going on there speaking of documentaries have you seen the new velvet underground one just came out i'm kind of holding on it's i'm ready the reason i bring it up is because they talk to john kale and they talk about his 18 hour and 40 minute concert right (laughs) (laughs) and they interview the well they show the one guy who stayed for the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited now i'm very excited to see that that's pretty funny well in 1991 i was kind of done with rock and was not as bored silly I think by a lot of rock music at that time and I was going deep into uh, different directions some of them were sort of like the Bristol scene out of the UK some of it was you know sort of sounds out of like bands like My Bloody Valentine which I felt were like moving into new directions in a really exciting way and hip-hop and I got a chance to listen to the Ice Cube record, Death Certificate, which I thought was a fascinating record um, and loved it and got really deep into it. And so a lot of 1991, and it was a a cassette that I had recorded and took with me when I uh, dropped out of college and went to uh, form Yugoslavia to sort of become a journalist. So I listened to this record a lot and it had a sort of energy to it and an integrity and an honesty that I think was a lot of ways kind of like we talked about with Nirvana. It felt like it was telling a story in a really honest way about a world that I didn't really know that well and was really excited by. So I'm going to play a bird in the hand from Ice Cube's record, Death Certificate. It's Deep Cuts Lost and Found. Round 18, 1991 is the year. Say, look at this. I've been cleaning out my nest and I found an old book of my poetry. Fresh out of school, cause I was a high school grad. Got to get a job, cause I was a high school dad. Wish I got paid by rapping to the nation, but that's not likely. So here's my application, pass it to the man at AT&T. Cause when I was in school, I got the AEE. But there's no SC for this junkster. I didn't have no money, so now I got a punch the clock got a slave and be half a member whitey says there's no room for the African. Always knew that I would clock G's. But welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order, please? Gotta serve your food that might give you cancer. Cause my son. 
about diapers, bottles, and Similac. Do I have to sell me a whole lot of crap with decent shelter and clothes on my back? Or should I just wait for help from Bush or Jesse Jackson and Operation Push? If you ask me, the whole thing needs a dush. A massing gale, what the hell crack a cell in the neighborhood? To the corner house bitches, Miss Parker, Little Joe, and Todd Bridges. Or anybody that heating up. So I cop me a bird better known as a kilo. Now everybody know I went from Poe to a nigga that got dope. So now you put the feds against me. Cause I couldn't follow the plan of the presidency. I'll never get love again. But blacks are too fucking broke to be Republican. Now remember, I used to be cool. Till I stopped filling out my W-2. Now senators are getting high. And your plan against the ghetto backfire. So now you got a pep talk. But sorry, this is our only room to walk. Cause we don't want a truck push. But a bird in the hand is worth more than a book. Two minutes and 17 seconds of just, I don't know, incendiary honesty and excitement. Yeah. I wish the song No Vaseline was not so grossly homophobic and gay panicky because that's such a that's such a hooky, such a great song. But the sample's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, but it's all kind of wrong. Yeah. I went back and forth on those two, and I just thought like this one I think I can play a little easier than No Vaseline. But No Vaseline is amazing. And talk about it's one of the best diss tracks of all time. Oh yeah, for sure. It's going after all of his boys in NWA and it's yeah. it's honest and interesting. Uh the production on this thing is kind of incredible. It's Sir Jinx, DJ Boo, Ice Cube doing a lot of the production on it. Um, the singles from the record are Steady Mob and True to the Game, both great tracks. Um, but this record to me was so great. I was really torn. I kind of want to play another West Coast artist, which is Del the Funky Homo Sapien, who also released, I think, an incredible record this year called I Wish My Brother Was Here. And so you'll just play a little bit now. Yeah, I know. I'm, preserve preserve your other pick. I'm talking about it. I know, I know. <laughs> You're definitely pulling a Federco right now. It's I know, like, I totally am. But It takes one to know one. Tommy, well played. I know, I know. <laughs> But both boys are cousins. They both got a chance to work. He's still going. Yeah, I know. I know. He's just been scolded for it, and he's still going. I'm he's still, still going. Doing it. But you know what? They're amazing records. And when I listen oh to these God, albums, <laughs> anyway, that's he's a my master. That's my first pick for Deep Cuts Lost and Found, round 18, 1991. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I bow down to you, Tommy. Well played. <laughs> Rich, where do you want to take us? It just reminded me to add uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot to my notes for 92 <laughs> for next year. Fair enough. Note to self. <laughs> uh, because this is a psychological safe place. Oh, boy. Oh, is it? I'm going to stay in Seattle. <laughs> no good sentence ever starts with that. <laughs> I'm not yeah. gonna. I'm not gonna apologize. Wrong podcast. <laughs> I'm not gonna apologize. I'm gonna stay in Seattle. 1991. Graduated from college with a degree somehow. Uh, unleashed on the world with an art history degree. So of course I had three jobs immediately after college. Um, I think catering. Um, uh, one of my weirdest jobs was trimming truffles. Wow. Trimming truffles? In a chocolate factory. I didn't know truffles had to be trimmed. <laughs> they do. If you want a nice, perfect round truffle, you got to trim off that top little... Tremendous. 
What do you do with the part that you trim off? <laughs> you chuck it or eat it. <laughs> Interesting. Tremendous truffle hmm. trimming. Is there a side business of truffle trimmings that are sold to... Uh... There was a specific <laughs> job of truffle trimmer. It's like carpet remnants. Like, what well, you got to exactly. do something with them. Yeah. <laughs> Get your truffle remnants. <laughs> I feel like there was an alley deal in the back of your truffle trimming. <laughs> it could have been a side business. It could yeah, have made totally. some sales in the alley. Trimmed truffles. So anyway... Uh, moving back to Seattle, uh, after Walla Walla, from uh, you're just around it. In 1991, there's bands everywhere, you know, not to mention Soundgarden and Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all that stuff that was going on. But there's so many bands that they lifted as well. And um, so we're going to shows multiple times a week. Uh, one of the bands that I picked, and, and I don't like the label grunge, because I don't think this band is necessarily grunge, but they definitely probably benefited from that movement. Saw them live first time in, at Whitman, and then saw them I think at the State Fair I think in Tri Cities and it's like a in a corral I think it was. Um, anyway, uh, a strong female lead vocalist, great lyrics, great songwriting. They had everything. Um, this first album, self-titled album, the band is Hammerbox, and it was a self-titled album, Hammerbox. Their second album kind of flopped, and then they kind of disappeared and went their separate ways. But for a, a little brief time there, this was a really fun band to see, and I enjoyed seeing them every time I did and have fond memories. So I thought I'd stick this into our mix tonight. Um, this is when Three is Two by Hammerbox. It's Deep Cuts.
Total blind spot for me. I, I didn't know them at all. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me neither. She sounded a lot like Kristen Hirsch there in the very beginning, but then that morphed into a bunch of different things. Yeah. yeah she had Kristen Hirsch. She had Tracy Thorne. Pat Benatar. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good. I mean, she's got a really powerful voice. I liked it. That's a nice discovery. Thanks, yeah. Rich. That was excellent. New. Yeah, I reckon that album is, that, all the songs are, are pretty good on that album. And then, uh, then they just kind of faded away and she went and joined another, made another band called Goodness. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of things going on in Seattle and the Northwest this time. Nice. I think it's one of the nice things actually about like being in different cities is you kind of get exposed to different things. And, you know, in a weird way, like you went very much in a different direction than all of us, even though you had started out very much in like the same English. In fact, you were probably the one that introduced us to a lot of our favorite bands of the sort of mid 80s. By the time you got to the 90s, you were kind of deep into the Seattle sound, which we probably mm-hmm. caught a little bit here and there. I, I you know, I, I kind of caught up with like Nirvana kind of late. I caught up with Pearl Jam kind of late, uh, you know, Screaming Trees. I liked them, but they weren't really like a big focal point for me. I was moving into different directions. So it's kind of nice to get a chance to hear them again in context. Couldn't avoid it in the Northwest. And uh, actually, I think 1991 is the year I got my citizen- U.S. citizenship. Oh. Ooh. All right. Well, well, Big year. So we have a, we have an anniversary. Uh, yeah, 30 years ago. 30 years of an American. All right. I haven't been kicked out yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. Watch what you say on this show. That's right. <laughs> Billy, as an American citizen, would you like to uh, take us forward? Damn straight. <laughs> yeah. At least I know I'm American. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Um, so, uh, as I said, I, I, I knew others would pick up on um, the grunge theme. And uh, so, thank you, Rich. Uh, so, I'll move in a different direction. Uh, to another underappreciated and uh, obscure band. Um, the next song is literally from a compilation album called You're Just Too Obscure for Me. <laughs> it's a compilation uh, because the album itself, Ready to Fly uh, by the Verlaines, which is what I'm uh, going to be playing from, uh, isn't available anymore. I have it on cassette, uh, but you can't get it anywhere. Um, but this particular song, War in My Head, is available on this compilation called You're Just Too Obscure For Me. I highly recommend folks listen to the Verlaines. They're another New Zealand band. I don't know. I have a thing for New Zealand bands, I guess. Last week it was the Chills. This week it's Verlaines. Who knows? Next week maybe it'll be the 3Ds. Um, But I I think these guys need to be uh, 
reckon with. I, I hope folks will check them out. They're just an amazing band. Um, just great uh, connection to the melody. Graham Downs, I think, studied classical music, and, and it's apparent from the way he writes, I think. Um, this song, like I said, it's called War In My Head. It's very fast. I think it's got a BPM. It's over 140. Um, it starts by recalling how perfect a relationship was and then flips the script. Originally says there's no place called heaven if you and I ain't been there, but at the end he just concludes there is no place called heaven. Uh, this is War In My Head. Tommy, take it away. It's Deep Cuts.
another band from New Zealand for you. I like that. That's me. The Dunedin sound. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> Billy loves the Kiwis. Is that what it's called? Is it Dunedin? How do you say that? Where they're from? D-U-N-U-D-I-N? No idea. No, no, no. There's a whole kind of scene there. I don't know what how you say their name, though. Dunedin? 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 <laughs> yeah, I think that band, The the Beths, the, they're out there playing yeah, there. The Aren't Beths. they a New Zealand band? The Beths yeah. are new. Um, an older band was The Clean. Yeah, The Clean's great. I liked some of that clean stuff. We're from that, we're from that area. Yeah. Uh, like I said, The Chills. Yeah, New Zealand. They, got, they, got, they have, a, for me, a real strong songwriting feel. Like these bands all have great songwriting chops. Not necessarily making new sounding stuff, but but really strong, strongly written stuff. Was Crowded House out of uh, New Zealand or were they actually out of Australia? Am I mixing the two? I think they were Australian. Fairly yeah. certain Australia. Okay, fair enough. But from our perspective, it's all the same. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere. <laughs> It's down under-ish. Exactly. <laughs> Chris, where would you like to take your second pick? Well, having just alienated the viewer, the listeners from our- We only uh, have like 20 listeners in Australia. Come yeah, on, Australia. Okay. Sorry to all 20. Well, uh, now 15. <laughs> I'm going to check the numbers after this show. <laughs> I couldn't possibly talk about 1991 without uh, mentioning the album Laughing Stock by Talk Talk. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Pitchfork named it the 11th best album of the nineties, which will sound shockingly high to most people who aren't familiar with talk talk or this album. But to me, that feels incredibly um, low, almost insultingly low totally, because this is without a doubt, one of the top three records of 1990s. Um, what can I say about this album? It is a masterpiece it is an album to put on when you're depressed or when you're not depressed. It's an album to listen to at three o'clock in the morning. It's an album to wake up to. It is an album that is both beautiful and tragic. It's everything. I just feel like an album this good sort of speaks to any emotion you could have because it's just so perfect. And uh, I think a lot of the credit for that goes to Mark Hollis, who passed away a couple of years back, had a, a sort of unstinting st perfectionist streak um, in the studio. And this album, while it may sound minimal to some, is the result of painstaking work. And I don't want to say too much about it. Perhaps I already have. But the song I chose to play is Ascension Day, which is the second track on the album. I love the way it moves. Uh, I love the rhythm of it, uh, the way the bass and drums work together. And so here, Thomas, take it away with uh, Ascension Day. From one of the greatest albums of all time, it's Talk Talk. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 18, 1991.
Possible to know when to climb in to talk about this record because it's you can't you shouldn't no I'm just kidding I know I'm so glad you played this it's one of the most important records of my adult lifetime it's a, a record I've listened to maybe more than any other record or certainly in the top records I've listened to over and over and over again I found new things every time I've listened to it um, I feel like it opened worlds up to me like people talk about like Catcher in the Rye and reading it and feeling like their world opened up I feel like. Talk Talk Records, especially the last two, opened my world up to new music I'd never listened to before and, and made me prepared for jazz, made me prepared for modern classical. It, 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 it The contribution of, of Mark Hollis and Talk Talk Records to my life is just immeasurable. Yeah, that pretty much says it all. I mean, yeah. It's almost beyond music, you know what I mean? It's it's really top that. It's that good. Not their most popular though, according to like like I'm going on music Twitter and people have done polls and I did a, a countdown. Actually, I had Ascension Day as my number one, but um, but most people were responding that they prefer Spirit of Eden, which I thought was interesting. I I did too for a long time. Uh, it took me a while to, to really get into this in the same way that I got into Spirit of Eden. So I could see that. Yeah, and I, and I, I have no beef with those people. Just yes. it's, it's it's interesting. Spirit of Eden seemed to be the, the one folks preferred. Maybe because it was the first one they heard that was of this departure Yeah, uh, from their early stuff. Yeah. Uh, great jazzy rhythm to the Ascension. Oh, day. man. Isn't it good? Mm. Yeah, so good. I mean, it kind of reminds me in a way, like, as young people, because, you know, we were all very young in 1991, and, and I think we all listened to this record probably in 1991, is that we were probably trying out new wine and new beer and new food and we were like becoming adults. And I feel like what I'm so thankful for is that I feel like Talk Talk's sort of essential, if you're <laughs> essential, if you're part of the expression, has been with my life as well. Like when they were willing to move away from pop music, I was ready to take that travel with them. And when they were ready to go into this incredible sort of I don't even know how to describe it, this non-genre jazz world that they were creating, I was ready to take that journey with them. And I feel like they navigated for me so much of what made my world so much more interesting, both in food and music and films and everything else. I feel like I'm so lucky to have grown up in the time period where I got a chance to watch them go from being a, a really cool synth pop band to becoming something completely different. And uh, this record to me was the apotheosis of it. It was the very height of that experience. Would you say it was the Acme? 
It was the Acme. (laughs) (laughs) Acme of post-rock. That's right. Well, Derek, uh, with that said, why don't you carry us forward somewhere else? Where would you like to go? I don't know if I can reach those heights, but, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to try. I mean, this was... Just keep away from the nadir. Yes, exactly. (laughs) No nadirs. Who's the sesquipedalian here? (laughs) No apexes. No, No, thank you. Um, no, I love this band. I love the band Swerve Driver. I've loved everything that they've ever put out. If you consider shoegaze a genre, they're certainly my most favorite shoegaze band out there. I mean, for the first note of this record, they blew me away. It was dense and it was lush and it was intense, but it was loud. But, you know, there were like these little shimmering moments where all these sounds kind of swirl against each other and it's just perfect. But um, I, lo- I love this record, Rays. And uh, this particular song, it's, you know, got a lot of the sort of lyrical feel of a lot of the rest of their stuff where, you know, there's a certain amount of darkness and things are broken, but there's still this sense of moving ahead to something more hopeful. This is uh, Swerve Driver from the record uh, Rays. This is the song Pile Up. It's Deep Cuts.
Bill used to drive around with a Swerve Driver bumper sticker, which was always tremendously fun to watch people following and leaving a lot of difference, a lot of space between his car. It was totally unironic. I didn't, I wasn't trying to be funny. I didn't even get it at first, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, I like that song. I mean, they're a band that you couldn't imagine that they could replicate some of the stuff on their records live, but they really do. They are great live band even to this day you know i saw them a couple of years ago and um they still were really great and played these songs in a way that you really didn't think would be possible um but have we mentioned to our listeners that derek is actually wearing a swerve driver shirt right now no but we should thank you chris Sporting my Swerve Diver shirt. You can see it in the bonus round. Yeah, I know. Turn to the bonus round. I was wearing my Nirvana shirt. Ah, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm the one closing out the show tonight, and there are two albums that I feel weird not including. I have a feeling we're about to hear about them both. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is it it Boys to Men? No, it is not. This is a two-hour show, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Tom makes his fourth and fifth pick. This is a very hard year. Um, oh, all of a sudden, it's hard for you. Just for you, really. <laughs> no, it was hard. Us. Eh. My Bloody Valentine's Loveless record is an incredible album and a very oh, yeah. important one. But I'm going to so actually- So play a song from it. Oh, God <laughs> damn it. We had a shoegaze block. We had a shoegaze block. Um, we totally did. But I'm going to shift it up only because I think that we kind of have to. Because we can't really talk about 1991 without talking about Massive Attack and the album Blue Lines. We could. We could. <laughs> we could, I guess. No, but I'm only You play what you want after you introduce your honor roll. No, I had a Massive Attack song that I'm trying to protect. But you got to do what you feel. Go for it. I got to do what I feel. So I got to say, like, the Massive Attack record Blue Lines, which I did hear in 1991, was a record that just kind of blew my mind. It opened up uh, a whole world to me. Uh, It was kind of bringing trip hop into a sound that I hadn't really known. Uh, This record was put together by a Bristol three-piece, a guy named 3D, who was a graphic artist, Daddy G, who was an MC, Mushroom, who was a producer. Uh, A lot of the record was produced thanks to Nana Cherry kind of nudging these guys who were local to actually do the recording. They recorded it while she was raising her kid, and there was like diaper smells and all sorts of fun stuff while they were making this record. Um, They were all part of this group called the Wild Bunch, who were basically a sound system kind of model in the Jamaican DJ crews of like the 70s and 80s out of Jamaica. Um, The record is to me truly extraordinary. Um, It listening to the production of it, listening to the way samples were used, the full commitment to the curation of music. And then I like this song in particular. This song is very much, it was started as a jam basically. And you can feel like it's the first thing that they created. It's sort of like somebody found a great beat. Somebody else just kind of got on a microphone and just rapped on top of it. And to me, it's just a very, very special piece of music. And to me, it, it opened up the 1990s to me in a huge, huge way. So it's Massive Attack from Bristol. The song is Five Man Army. Uh, this is Deep Cuts, 1991. Drugs and whoever's been a boss, she's down with them. She's always on 
just to hit me in such a sweet spot it was like jamaican music that i was into hip-hop that I was into soul and r&b that i was into and horace andy's backing vocals the raps feel loose and comfortable the beats are not pop they're kind of dark and moody and interesting yeah. and cool i just felt like this was a record i could just put on my headphones and i would feel this world in a way that was just magical i like the tricky stuff from this record, I like those tracks a lot. It's such an amazing town. Again, all coming out of Bristol, England. You had Tricky coming out of there. And at the same time, you also had like Portishead a couple of years later, or actually a year later, you know, incredible, incredible releases. Uh, Way Out West came out of there. Ronnie Size, uh, who was really breaking new ground in drum and bass, um, Smith and Mighty. You kind of had trip hop and drum and bass both coming out of Bristol at the same time, really innovating and creating stuff that was super, super exciting. I'm thinking of Gorillas as well. Yeah. I was listening to Blur for this, and I just chose not to pick a song, but it started thinking ahead about Gorillas and what they did and you know, Massive Attack. Pretty similar, or similar stuff, all the layers. 91 just felt like it was like everything was opening up in a really exciting way. And uh, it's the spirit of 76, 77 all over again. Totally. I don't, I don't mean the music was the same, but the spirit of just uh, right. anyone can play guitar just or anybody can make a band was, was in the air. Free love. <laughs> That's right. Totally. Well, let's talk a little bit about further listening. So uh, how do we want to go? Let's, let's start with Derek. Do you want to let us know who you would like to recommend? 1991, what would be the further listening you'd recommend? Feel free to list four, five, six songs. I know. There's so many uh, that I could have picked, but 
I don't know. I guess for some reason this one stuck out to me as just as something that I did listen to a lot. It's, um, you know, he's gotten a certain amount of love already from us, but um, Billy Bragg's record from this year, Don't Try This at Home, it's kind of an interesting record in his oeuvre in the respect that, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit past, you know, what I think of as really his heyday. Right. Um, but it's this really kind of mature record in a way that it sort of deals with, I don't know, it's just dealing with some really kind of mature ideas in, in his life. And there's, you know, an utterly just heartbreaking song called Tank Park Salute about his father passing away that I think mm-hmm. is just one of the prettiest, saddest songs I've ever heard. Um, and uh, I just, it's a great record, despite that song Sexuality, which has never been my favorite song of his. <laughs> it's okay. I, I, it's cute. I mean, I'm happy he had a hit, that's for sure. Right. But um, one of my least favorite songs by his. But uh, yeah, Don't Try This at Home by Billy Bragg. Nice. Rich. Favorite listening, uh, suggested listening, I should say, 1991. Dinosaur Jr., Green Mind. Uh, nice. Came out in 91. I, this was, I think, purchased album of Dinosaur Jr. that I made. It was Green Mind. Mm-hmm. And I think this is after Lou Barlow left. I think this is mainly a Jay Maskus show at this point. And uh, it was a great album. Love every song on it. Highly recommend it. Good stuff. Billy, what would you recommend for the listening? Well, I, I had planned on talking about Laughing Stock, but I guess there's really no point. Um, Nash, Nash, and Tom both talked about it a lot. Um, Laughing Stock was the record record I was going to recommend, uh, and I, then I was going to recommend Loveless, but you've already mentioned that one too. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless is just a pivotal record. The, what he does on a guitar and that is just astounding. Uh, so. I will talk about uh, another one of my favorite artists who I mentioned a bunch on this show, Lloyd Cole. He put out Don't Get Weird on Me, Babe, uh, which is just a great album. And what's really cool about it is I think the first six tracks, I think it's divided six and four, uh, the first six tracks are all uh, with orchestral arrangements. Um, And I, doing a little research, I found out that they were all recorded at the Capitol Studios where Sinatra sang with Nelson Riddle, uh, the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. it's just a beautiful first side. The second side, a little more "quote unquote" rock, which which is good, but it's not as much of a re- revelation as the first set. The first set is just terrific. Check out songs like "Margot's Waltz," "Half of Everything." Uh, just a great, great record. Great pick, uh, Chris. I am gonna go with um, Matthew Sweet's "Girlfriend." Um, that's a really good record, and um, there's something about it that's. Um, very different from the grunge thing that was happening um, at this time, and yet kind of a part of it. It's it's a very clean record. It's almost like lots of great love songs and anti-love songs, and it's got this real sort of like gloss of bubblegum precision on it, but without being sappy. Uh, the song Girlfriend is certainly one of the catchiest songs of 1991, um, he can wail with a guitar. Derek and I saw him in New York, I think on the next, oh, yeah. on the Altered Beast tour. Well, it's usually not him wailing. That's, um. No, it's usually yeah. like I get an invited guest, like Ivan Crawl or someone. Yeah. Or it's the guy from television. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good record. And, uh, the song I was going to maybe think about playing tonight is I've Been Waiting, which is a really good track. Probably my second favorite song of the album. But I would, re- I would recommend folks pick that one up. It's a good one. Nice. Um, I will recommend The Wedding Presents Sea Monsters, a record that I love so much. Um, I had my heart broken in 1991 in maybe the biggest way that I'd had so far at my life at that point. 
And that was a record that was the solace for me. That was a record I just listened to over and over again. Every single song means something to me. Every song is is really powerful. I was really tempted to play Corduroy from that record, but it just didn't feel right for tonight. But I think that's a record that's truly, truly great. Uh, the Wedding Present, Sea Monsters, the name of the album, and Sonia, my love to you for inspiring all the misery that came into listening to that record. <laughs> Yay! Agree. That was quite, quite an album. I didn't want to play yeah. anything because I was afraid I might trigger something. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking up the Matthew Sweet thing. It was, you know, probably it was either Richard Lloyd or Robert Quine. Quine. Doing those amazing. Both Marr and Quine played with Lloyd. They were all friends. Right. And it also said Lloyd Cole played on uh, Girlfriend. Oh, really? Yeah, because the two, the two of them went back and forth. It, yeah. I mean, Matthew Sweet plays bass with Lloyd Cole on the first two, maybe more records. Crazy. I think when we saw them live, though, the, the guitarist was Ivan Julian. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was. Yeah. Which I was, well, I don't know. I wanted, I wanted to see Robert Quine or, or Richard Lloyd, but sure. it was still great. I mean, you know, that album, that album made a Lifetime fan out of me. Yeah, well, for those of you who have not gotten enough, you know, we probably have our social media things. We should talk about that really quickly. So, okay. Billy, where can you catch us? Absolutely. Check us out on Twitter. Um, if you just search for Deep Cuts Lost and Found, you'll find us. It's also called at New Wave Deep Cuts. We are also on Facebook. And uh, for bonus content, check us out on Patreon. Again, search for Deep Cuts Lost and Found. You can find these shows with the uh, Zoom video. We also post uh, other information about the show. And most importantly, we include exclusive bonus content, which is an additional round where we each go around the horn and pick one more song. But we only do that for Patreon subscribers. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. Yes. Please, please leave a review. We're begging you. Our French overlords would be so happy. So yeah, go to <laughs> Apple and uh, put a review in if you like the show. If you don't like the show... If you don't like the show, please do not leave a review. <laughs> and if you yeah. need help writing the review... We're happy to help it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just we've saying. Got, we've got templates for you. We'll send one. <laughs> well, now this is an exciting part of the show. This is where we all get a chance to vote. None of us can vote for our own song. We have to vote for another song that we feel was an exciting cut, a, a deep cut, something that was a discovery that we're really all jazzed about. So let me rattle off really quickly what we've played tonight. Rich opened the show up tonight with Mud Honey from Seattle, Who You Driving Now? Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge is the name of the album. Billy came in with American Music Club out of San Francisco. Ex-Girlfriend is the name of the song from their album, Everclear. Uh, Chris came in with Chicago's Smashing Pumpkins from their album, Gish. The song is called Snail. Uh, Derek came in with Slint. Not sure of the location of that band. Uh, the album is called Gish. Um, nope. I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. Spiderland. Spiderland Spider on that one. Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you. Where my lovely wife uh, grew up partially. Ah, nice. Oh, shout out to Danielle. Yep. From Los Angeles, I dropped Ice Cubes, A Bird in the Hand from his album Death Certificate. For the second round, Rich came in with Hammerbox, When Three <laughs> is Two from their self titled debut. Uh, An only record. Is that correct? Uh, no, there were two. <laughs> but we don't talk two. about the okay, second one. Okay, fair enough. We don't talk about the second one. <laughs> Billy came in with the Verlaine's uh, War in My Head from You're Just Too Obscure for Me. Uh, Chris came in with Ascension Day from Talk Talk's album Laughing Stock. We've all jabbered a lot about that one. Uh, Derek came in with Swerve Driver, Pile Up from the album Rays. And I closed it out with Massive Attacks, Five Man Army from their album Blue Lines, their debut. 
uh, all again releases in 1991. Are we ready to go ahead and vote? Is everybody ready to pop up their information mm. into the thing? Let's do it. I'm ready. Tough all one. Right, here we go. Tough one. I'm just going with my gut. All right. Everyone locked and loaded? Yep. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Hit it. Oh, Rich and Hammerbar works for the runaway. Decisive victory. That's a surprise. Yeah, that's exciting. Rich takes it with Hammerbox when three is two from their debut album. He will be the leadoff hitter in our after show. You can catch us on Patreon. On behalf of Derek Brain, Richard Ayer, Bill Federico, Chris Nashawati, and myself, Thomas Golovich, this has been Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 18. 1991 has been the year. What an amazing year for music. I hope you've enjoyed some of our Deep Cuts track. If you want to catch more, catch us up on Patreon. Patreon. We will catch you guys all next week as we tackle, well, probably 1992. So looking forward to that. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Cheers. Peace.